Well, good morning. It's good to see each and every one of you here this morning. If we haven't met, my name is Marvin, one of the pastors here. And it's my joy to be able to stand up here and to bring the word of the Lord this morning. If you have your Bibles with you, I'd invite you to turn to uh, the book of Luke. We're back in the book of Luke. Uh, we'll be here for the next couple of weeks. Uh, Sundays as well as we talk, we started a new series a couple of weeks ago, the title being When You See It, and we've been talking a little bit about people who had encounters with Jesus, had experiences with Jesus, heard what he said, saw what he did, and somehow missed it, somehow did not get, quite get the point of what Jesus was trying to make. And so today we're going to continue, and we're going to hear about yet another person who may or may not have missed it. And so let's uh, uh, jump in. But before I do, I'm going to tell you a little uh, experience of mine. Um, I may not look like it, but one of my favorite things to do is, uh, is to run races. And by races, I don't mean marathons or 5Ks. I mean obstacle races. Um, before COVID hit, uh, we, we would run a couple of races a year, and, and we just always enjoyed it. A few friends of ours at the church, and we'd get together, and we'd run these races. So to psych myself up before the race, before race day, I would go online and watch all these videos. Videos of people jumping over fences, jumping over big walls, crawling under barbed wire, doing the cheese graters, doing um, all of these crazy things. And I'd sit there and i call Jen or i call whoever is nearby and be like, this is awesome. I get to do this and I think I can do this. Right? I, in my head, I can see myself swinging, and I can see myself crawling, and I can see myself jumping. I, I see myself doing all that. And then reality hits on race day. We get to that wall, and that wall is way higher than I thought it would ever be. That mud was way nastier than it was on the videos. And sometimes I'd grab something, and I'd fall off immediately. As a matter of fact, Jen likes to tell me that I'm not allowed to run any more races because, as some of you know, I had shoulder surgery, and she attributes it to me not being prepared because my mind thought I was ready for it, but in reality, I wasn't. Sometimes our confidence or our overconfidence gets us into trouble. You see, we're, we think we're ready for something. We think we can handle something. We think we can jump out there, grab life by the horns, do whatever it is, and we can do it. And when we get to life, when we get to the exam, or when we get to the, the, uh, the project, or when we get to the final presentation, we realize, oops, I am not ready for this. And today we're going to look at one such person so would you turn with me to Luke chapter 22, verses 31 on. Luke 22, verses 31. Simon, Simon, behold, Satan demanded to have you that he might sift you like wheat. But I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail. And when you have turned again, strengthen your brothers. Peter said to him, Lord, I'm ready to go with you both to prison and to death. Jesus said to him, I tell you, Peter, the rooster will not crow this day until you deny me three times. Deny three times that you know me. So we know the context of where we are. 
uh, where this conversation is happening. Jesus is wrapping up the Passover meal. Uh, he, he spends some time instituting the Lord's Supper. He tells them, hey, do this in remembrance of me. And right after that, this weird conversation starts, uh, this whole uh, argument starts amongst the, amongst the disciples saying, who would be the greatest? Who is the greatest? And what does that look like? And Jesus squashes it completely. And, and all of a sudden, Jesus turns over to Peter. And he says, Simon, Simon. Now, you know one, th one rule in the Bible is when your name is said twice, you better listen. Simon, Simon, Satan has demanded that he may sift you like wheat. That's a pretty powerful statement. Satan has demanded that he may sift you like wheat. So what is it? What is it that Peter's, uh, uh, Jesus is trying to tell Peter? Luke, in this verse, he's using the word you in the plural sense, in, in, the, in the sense that Satan is demanding that he will sift all of my disciples, all of you sitting in this room, like wheat. So what does sifting like wheat mean? Sifting, if you know some of the terminology, in, it's part of the harvest process. So you harvest the wheat. There is a process of separating the wheat from the chaff. And as, as you go to refine the wheat a little bit better, you go through these sieves that you call. Basically, it's, it's this large, um, if a farmer's sieve is this large basket-looking piece, apparatus, that's wood on the outside and little metal sh shards or um, uh, older ones they had uh, whatever tiny little threads, and so each sieve had holes to a certain size. And so the, pro the process here is they would put the wheat in and just shake it. And so part of that shaking, what the sieve would do, would separate the chaff from the wheat. Now here what's, Peter, and that, that helped them as they prepared their foods and prepared it because the, uh, certain things, certain impurities would fall through and the wheat would remain. Now here, Peter's, Peter's being told by Jesus saying, this is what Satan wants to do to you. Satan wants to sift you like wheat. But I'm praying for you. I'm praying that your faith will stand. So what is it exactly that Jesus is trying to say? First of all, there is a couple of implications here. First, that there is a real enemy out there. Jesus is looking at Peter and saying, you may be aware of it or not, but be mindful that there is an enemy that you face. Life, I'm here with you right now, but life will go on even after I leave. And this enemy, he's here. He's he's poised against you. He is ready to separate you from me. He is ready to come into your life. He's ready to bring trials into your life so that he, you may be sifted, so that your faith and you might be separated. So the devil knows that for these disciples to stand, it's their faith that matters. It's their faith that will help them stand. It's the faith of the things that they saw Jesus do, of the words that Jesus said, the experiences that they had with Jesus. It's their faith in Jesus that would make them stand. Because you see, these disciples were about to face a test unlike any other that they had with Jesus. For the last three, three years and a few months, they were with Jesus. They were experiencing Jesus. Jesus was there all in all. They, he, they followed him everywhere. 
But what they didn't realize was just in a matter of hours, their master, their love, their God, their all in all would be separated from them, would be taken away from them. And all of a sudden now they're having to fend for themselves. And what they have is this faith in Jesus, is this faith in who he said he is, is this faith in who said he said he will be, in what is to come, that he would die and that he would raise again, rise again. This faith is all they had. And that is Satan's target. And Jesus is looking at Peter and saying, Satan's asking for you. He's demanding for you. But I'm praying for you. I don't know if you hear the truth and the, the comfort behind it. You see, all of us here, we're all going to face trials. We're all going to face challenges. The enemy is going to come after every one of us. As long as we call ourselves a follower of Christ and as long as we follow him, the reality is the enemy is after you and me. The enemy is active. He's working. He is trying to destroy. He's trying to consume the things that God has put in our lives. He's trying to separate us from our faith. But the bigger reality, the stronger reality, the more comforting reality is the words of Jesus. But I'm praying for you. Paul, in, in Romans 8, he will remind us this, that who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand, who is indeed interceding for us. Interceding meaning praying for us. He is in the presence of God praying for you and for me. He's interceding that our faith would stand, that we would survive the trials in the, uh, the writer in Hebrews, he's, uh, this is what it says. Consequently, he, Jesus, is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him. Since he always lives to make intercession for them. You and I have such comfort. You and I have such confidence. You and I can live our lives as God has called us to live it because of what is happening. Because of the reality behind us. We may not be aware of it every day. We may not see it with our physical eyes, but that is what's happening in the heavens above, that there is a God, there is a Holy Spirit that is interceding on our behalf. Even when us, when our own prayers fails, Romans reminds us that there's a Holy Spirit that groans with words that, that cannot be uttered on our behalf. When our words fail, when our circumstances are too heavy, when all you can do is look up and cry out, there is a Holy Spirit praying for you. I am praying for you. He has demanded strong language. It's not he has requested. He has demanded that he sift you, but yet I stand in his way. But you, uh, take, a, take a moment to listen to what Jesus is saying. Jesus is not saying, I've, I've prayed that you will not go through it. Instead, he says, as you go through it, that your faith will stand. See, our gospel, our faith, our hope is not that once we've accepted it, once we start following Christ, that life becomes great, life becomes peachy, life becomes trouble less. But instead, it's the opposite. 
that troubles increase. Because when we take a stand, when we live with integrity, there is a challenge that comes against us. Now the, den- the enemy has a target on our back. He is going to work against us even stronger, even fa- faster, even more. But the confidence is that there is a God who is interceding for us. There is Christ who is interceding for us. And that we will go through it and our faith will stand. I don't know what your challenge is this morning, what your circumstances this morning, what for you, what that sifting looks like. I don't know what the devil is doing in your life that, that's causing you to stay up at night. The reality is there's a God above, Jesus himself, who is praying on your behalf. And stay strong. Hold on. He says, you will stand. You will stand as long as your faith is in him above. You will stand. And when you do, you will come out on the other side. That is our promise this morning. Let's continue. He says, I tell you, Peter, and so all of a sudden he's talking to Peter and he's telling, this is the reality. You may not see it, but it's happening. And now Peter's response, God, Jesus, I will not deny you. I will go to prison. I will even die for you. Now, this is classic Peter. If you know Peter, if you've been following Peter's life at all, you know he's the impulsive one. He's the first one to jump out the boat. He's the first one to walk on water with Jesus. He's the first one to say the big words. He's always there. He's confident. But I can make the argument that he's a little too overconfident. Because here suddenly he says, Jesus, at one point Jesus says, my time has come. I'm about to go fulfill the purpose that God has for me. I'm about to go to the cross. I'm about to die. And Peter stands up and rebukes Jesus saying, no dying on my watch. That's not going to happen. This same Peter stands up again to Jesus. And Jesus is saying, he's telling the truth, saying, you will, this is what's going to happen. You're gonna, you, you are going to face this. And Peter says, no, 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 I'm, I'm, you can count on me. Even if all of these other people that you call disciples, even if all of them do betray you, I will stand. His confidence. You see, Peter had a view of himself that even Jesus did not. His confidence in who he was, in con- his confidence in his abilities, he watched those videos, he knew he would ca- conquer the race. But what he didn't realize was his abilities are no match. His own strength was merely enough. He, Peter, on his, on his own, would not be able to stand. Peter, Jesus then responds to him, I'm telling you, Peter, before the rooster crows tonight, before the rooster crows to- twice tonight, he's going to Betray me, you're going to deny that you know me three times. Tough words, harsh words for someone who loves and someone who followed him for these last three years. He's looking at him saying, you, Peter, you're going to deny me. You're going to deny that you know me. So let's continue in verses, 25, in, uh, verses 54 through 60. So the, here they are to arrest Jesus. So they seized him and led him away, bringing him into the high priest's house. And Peter was following at a distance. 
And when they had kindled a fire in the middle of the courtyard and sat down together, Peter sat among them. Then a servant girl, seeing him as he sat in the light and looking closely at him, said, This man also was with him. But he denied it, saying, Woman, I do not know him. And a little later, someone else saw him and said, You are also one of them. But Peter said, Man, I am not. And after an interval of about an hour, still another insisted, saying, Certainly this man was also with him, for he too is a Galilean. But Peter said, man, I do not know what you're talking about. And immediately while he was speaking, the rooster crowed. Before the rooster crows three, twice, you will have denied me three times. The other gospel writers go into a little bit more detail of his emotions at this time. When the servant girl comes up to him, he denies her and says, no, I do not know him. And then the other person says, and it says, yeah, you're one of them. He gets angry. He says, no, I don't, I'm not him. And the third person says, wait, you sound like him. You're a Galilean. You have that accent. You, you, You are one of them. And at this point, one of the gospel writers says, he starts cursing. He starts cursing. He is so angry. And he says, I am not one of them. And immediately, the rooster crows. We're never as vulnerable when we boast in our strength. See, Peter left the dinner that night when they, when, after their conversation with Jesus, his head held high, chest all puffed up, ready to prove to Jesus that come what may, I'm going to prove him wrong. No matter what he says, I'm going to stand. No matter who flees, I'm going to stand. Because I'm Peter. I'm me. I will not fall. So often as pastors, we often hear words like, I've got this under control. This is is not going to overtake me. This is not going to consume me. I'm going to try harder not to sin. Tomorrow's a new day. I won't fall. That's not an issue for me. A lot of us approach life and temptations in life and sin and circumstances around sin the way Peter approaches denying knowing Christ. With our chest puffed up saying, by my grit, by my strength, I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to withstand the temptations coming at me. By my effort, I'm going to overcome whatever comes my way. We trust in our abilities to stand at times. We trust our grit and our resolve to get things done. We trust that unlike Peter, we would never deny. If we were in those shoes, we would would stand surely. You see, it's here that Peter's story is serving as a cautionary tale that we're most vulnerable when we start boasting in ourselves. Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 10, 12, therefore let anyone who thinks that he stands take heed lest he fall. If you think, if you think that you're standing, if you think that you're secure, if you think that you, there's, everything's going well and everything's good, don't boast in it. Don't take glory in it. You will fall. 
Because now all of a sudden, the, uh, when your boasting is in your security, when your boasting is in your ability to stand, now the focus is on you. The glory comes to you. Peter's saying, surely I will not deny him. Surely I will stand. Surely I will overcome this. We have intentions that are good, but are followed through that often fails. We say the words we're all in for Jesus and we'll do anything he asks of us. But the moment we get a rejection, we get hurt, we lose a friend or a relationship, suddenly the story changes. And like Hillary was talking about, when we have to count the cost, do we stand? When, when trial, when persecution comes, do we stand? See, our fear and our pain and insecurities play a bigger role in our lives than we often realize. They certainly did for, Jesus, uh, for Peter because for him, his security was important in that moment. His self-preservation was important in that moment. His Image was important in that moment. I do not know of that man. I am not the person you speak of. Stop it. You see, when, we, when who we think we are clashes with, clashes with who he is, someone gets denied. We, we keep asking this question. We make this statement, when you see it. You see, you can be right there with Jesus. You can experience Jesus like Peter did and still miss it because his gaze, his focus was not on Jesus. His focus was on himself. When who you are is bigger than who he is, when who you are takes more precedence in your life than who he is, we've missed it. It's easy to believe God when everything goes according to our plans. But what happens when things don't? When we assume that God is going to do things the way he's going to do it, but he chooses to do differently. You see, for Peter, in that moment, going out of that room, he knew that this was the Messiah. He knew this was the person that he would follow. He knew that this was the Savior of the world, but he had an idea of how that was to come. In the garden, when all the, the, uh, the, uh, the authorities and the soldiers and everyone comes up and they're ready to arrest Jesus, Jesus suddenly asks, who do you look for? They said, you, and all of a sudden... If you pay attention to what the scripture says, every one of them fell. Every one of them fell. And Peter may have thought in that moment, yes, this is it. We're ready for war. We're ready. And as the, and as the soldiers come to arrest Jesus, he pulls out his knife, cuts off a man's ear. I always wonder why he went for the ear. And Jesus says, put that knife away. Because this is not how it's going to work. You see, Peter had an idea. Peter had plans of how this salvation was going to come. And suddenly, Jesus is doing it outside of his plans. So my question this morning, what happens when you and I miss it? Clearly, Peter's missing it. He's not seeing the plan. What happens when we miss it? 
Let's move on to verses 59 through 64. And immediately while he was speaking, the rooster crowed. And the Lord turned and looked at Peter. And Peter remembered the sayings of the Lord, how he had said to him, before the rooster crows today, you will deny me three times. And he, wept, he went out and wept bitterly. Immediately, the gravity of the situation hits Peter. He realizes what he has done. He denied being associated with the one who brought him into the fold. He denied knowing the one who had given him purpose and meaning, who pulled him out of a life of obscurity and made him one of his disciples. Shame and regret and remorse came flooding in. In a moment like that, how do you deal with it? See, you, you and I often fail in ways that, in similar ways. How do you handle it? How do you handle it when you know you've missed what God is trying to say? How do you handle it when you know you've missed when God is, what God is trying to do and you're clearly in the wrong? So sometimes it's easy to lock it away and not deal with it. One of the blessings of being a pastor is, uh, I would say, blessings and challenges of being a pastor is in conversations with people I don't know, they'll often ask me, hey, so what do you, what do, you do for work? Or what, what do you do? And I'll say the words, I'm a pastor. And suddenly the conversation changes. <laughs> Immediately, we've gone to a holiness level that never existed in that conversation before. I remember when I was, uh, when I was in Bible college and I was working at UPS and, and the conversations around that, around those tables as we were getting ready, we, we were working in, at the airport and we were waiting for the plane and, and all of that. And so we had time to kind of sit around and just chat. And I often listened to the conversations. There were some quite colorful conversations. And then one day, someone, uh, this particular guy, Bob, asked me, hey, so what do you do? And I said, well, I'm in Bible college. Well, what do you do that for? I'm getting ready. I'm get, God has, God's called me into ministry, and I'm getting ready to become a pastor. I'm ready to serve him in missions and whatever the Lord has called me into. And suddenly he grew quiet. <laughs> the man that had a lot to say all, all day grew quiet. And then he asked me, all right, so what church do you go to? And I said the name of the church. And he's like, you know, I, I went to that church. I was there for a while. I, was, I served. I was on. I helped out with the youth. I did a lot of different things. I was like, oh, that's great. How come I don't see you anymore? He's like, well, I stopped going. I stopped a while ago. It's like, all right. So how come you, made your, you never made your way back? It's like, well, I don't belong there anymore. I don't think God wants me there anymore. Or another lady that I met I don't want to name the store, but I was at, at a box store, and I was getting some uh, print, uh, stuff printed for the church, and she saw, the, she saw the poster that I was printing. And she said, oh, this looks like a great event. I'll make sure my daughter comes. I was like, that's great. I'd love for your daughter to be here at this event. How about you? She says, no, not me. See, I've made some choices along the way. And I don't think God would be happy to have me in his house. What do you do in moments like that? 
What do you do when you know you've missed it? You've made choices, you've uh, said things, or you've seen things, you've experienced things that you know there's no coming back from. And in your mind, the story is done, it's written, it's, it's over. What do you do? See, in that moment when Peter heard the rooster crow, and he looked over and he saw Jesus, he caught the gaze, and immediately he knew, this is it. Everything that Jesus said I would do, he, I did. I've messed up. And I've messed up in a spectacular way. But you see, in, those, in that moment, Jesus' eyes were not screaming condemnation. They were not screaming, see, I told you you would do that. He was not saying, get away from me. He was in, instead inviting him back. Jesus' eyes in that moment were filled with compassion. Jesus' eyes in that moment were filled with, come back, son. After Jesus' death, all of, this, all of the disciples fled. They all just disappeared. No one's left. Some went back to their jobs. Some went back to whatever they were comfortable with. And Peter found his way back to fishing. See, we do, we do things like that. Many of us wall out our shame of bad choices made in the past or tragic events that we've had happen to us or what was said to us by a loved one, a parent, or a father or mother who've said some harsh words and we have a way of walling it all in. We fill our lives with busyness. We fill our lives with work, and sometimes it's good, but we fill our lives so that we have these little victories that we can concentrate on so that we don't have to deal with the thing, so that we don't have to deal with that moment. Or when the busyness is not enough, we have distractions in our lives. We have, these, uh, we have media, and we have things that we consume, and we have people around us that fill that void so that we don't have to deal with the thing. We don't have to deal with the pain so that we can drown out our conscience or we can drown out the Holy Spirit who's saying, get back to me, son. Come back. Let's deal with it. Let's deal with the sin. Let's deal with the pain. Let's deal with the tragedy. Let's deal with those words. And we're often pinballing between busyness and distractions and busyness and distractions. Peter knows how to deal with his mess. He goes fishing. So one night after they had that fished all night, Peter and the other disciples, they were fishing. They're fishing all night. Morning, uh, morning dawns, and they hear this voice. They hadn't caught anything. They hear this voice saying, cast your net onto the other side. And these tired disciples, they throw their nets. And suddenly the, the nets were full full enough for more than their boat could handle. And suddenly, Peter remembers this. Wait, this has happened before. This has happened before. You see, the first time Jesus encountered Peter, or Peter encountered Jesus, was on a boat. Peter had, Peter had fished all night. 
Peter had spent all night casting his net and found nothing. And Jesus gets on his boat and says, cast your net again. He pulls up the fish. And in that moment, he falls to his knees in that first miracle. And he says, I'm not worthy because he recognized who this was God. And now all of a sudden, this miracle is happening again. And suddenly he realizes, wait, this is no ordinary person telling us. He realizes who he is. He puts his clothes on and jumps in the water, which is a weird thing to do. Puts his clothes on, jumps in the water, and swims ashore. John, in his own quirky way, says, and the disciples followed right after. They got there at the same time because we were only 200 cubit feet away. But Peter makes his way back. You see, Jesus, in that moment, he's recreating that first miracle, and he's saying, come back, my son. Come back. Come back to the one who you knew. Come back to the one who you experienced. Come back to the one whom, at whose feet you fell and cried out, come back. And then as the disciples get to the shore, they suddenly, there's the smell of a fire. There's the smell of fish being prepared and a bread being baked. It's a charcoal fire. And it's very specific. John in his passage writes, it's a charcoal fire. And you may wonder why does John take the words to be so, so specific. Because you see, in the New Testament, there are only two times that a charcoal fire is mentioned. One was in this moment where Jesus invites the disciples to come and have a conversation with him. The other was on that night when Peter would deny Jesus. Peter was standing in the courtyard, and in that courtyard, they had lit a charcoal fire because of how cold it was, and he was warming himself by the fire. In that moment, when the smell of the charcoal hit, he was taken back to his biggest failure. Jesus recreated the miracle. Jesus recreated his moment of failure. And in both, he's saying, come back, my son. Because the conversation that follows is Jesus asking Peter, saying, Peter, do you love me? And he says, yes, absolutely, I do. He says, okay, I get it. Again, he asks, do you love me, Peter? It's like, yeah, I, I, I do, I do. And the third time he asks, do you love me, Peter? And at this moment, he breaks down. He says, Lord, you know I do. That same Peter who denied knowing him three times had a moment of confession and had a moment of deliberation, had a moment of fixing the issue. See, Jesus invites us back. I'm going to close here. Jesus invites us back. He's inviting you back. Let's get back to that mess. Let's get back to that moment because let's fix it. You see, Jesus was saving Peter that moment. Because forever, if that moment had not happened, forever that smell of charcoal or, the, or that fire would be constant reminder to Peter, say, you are that loser who gave up your own, own master. You are that failure. Every time he caught a fish, he would be reminded. Every time he was in a situation, he would be reminded. But Jesus is taking away that burden from him and saying, you love, do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me?
But you see, there's a bigger point behind this. Jesus tells him in that room that night, saying, and when you have come back. See, Satan is about to sift you like weed. I'll pray for you. You'll go through your trial. And when you've gone through it, come back because you have an assignment. Strengthen your brothers. And in that, in that, on that shore by the fire, Jesus says, do you love me? And Peter says, yes, absolutely, Lord, I do. He says, well then, feed my sheep. And later, Peter, Jesus would say, tell Peter, saying, when you grow old, when you were young, you did what you wanted to do, and you lived how you wanted to live, and when you get old, you'll, you'll have no control, and they'll lay you by. They'll clothe you. They'll do everything to you. He's looking at Peter's death. You see, Peter, in that moment up to his failure, thought he could do it on his own, thought he could do it, he could stand. His failure proved he couldn't. But Peter gets stuck for a moment in that moment, in that place of failure. Jesus pulls him out. And when he's pulled out, this is the same Peter who would stand before thousands of people and proclaim that this is the Messiah. This is the God to, in whom you should put your trust. And he would live a productive, a useful life for God. He would live standing up boldly saying, this is God. And eventually, he would give up his life. The two things that he said, God, I'll go to prison, I'll even die for you. He did both. He was crucified at the end of his life for his master. There was no more denying. It was instead standing up. Many of us get stuck in that place of failure. How you come into this room is determined by the baggage you carry. Some of you come in heavy. Some of you come in broken. Some of you come in in tears. Some of you come in free and in joy. And if you've come here today heavy-hearted, if you've come in realizing that there is something that needs, needs to be fixed, there is a time that I denied knowing Christ. There is a time that something happened to me that I have not resolved. There is a time that someone said something to me that I've been carrying all these years. There is a time there is, you fill in the blank. The Lord is here by that fire inviting you, saying, let's deal with it. Let's fix it. Let's fix it. So before we leave today, the team is going to lead us in worship. The team is going to close us out. But I would implore you not to leave immediately. If you have kids, please do go pick them up. I'll, I'll, I'll tell you that. But take a moment. Take a moment to sit with the Lord. Take a moment to take comfort in the fact that he is rooting for you. He is batting for you. He is praying for you. But also take a moment to say, Lord, help me deal with this. Help me not leave today not having dealt with this. Because all he is doing is standing here with open arms saying, come back, son. Come back, daughter. Would you bow your heads with me? Father, we thank you for the words that Luke records for us. Words that are powerful. Words that declare even our own frailty. Lord, we say we can stand, but Lord, at times and many times we've denied you. Lord, I pray that you would forgive us. You would restore us. 
You would help us come back. You would come help us love you the way we're supposed to. In Jesus' name we pray.